Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. Let me give you a brief background on, on Scripture in general, and then we'll delve into some, some parts of it. At the time in which it was written, roughly 25% of the Bible was prophetic in nature, meaning that it was foreshadowing, predicting, promising in great detail a future that God was going to bring to pass. It shows us that God both knows the future and is sovereign over the future. In fact, He is ultimately in control of all of human history. Now, many of these promises, these prophecies, and their fulfillment are the threads that hold all of Scripture together, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So, in the Old Testament alone, there are some 300-plus prophecies, predictions, promises that are going to get fulfilled in the New Testament. We're not going to look at all of them today. (laughs) We'll be here for hours if we did, but we are going to look at several. And these more than 300 prophecies, promises, predictions all come true in one person. And we're going to see that God reveals to us through Scripture that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these Old Testament prophecies and promises. But first, let me give you a couple of things that Jesus said that were very important before we launch into this. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, "'Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets.'" Now, that phrase is a New Testament way of describing the Old Testament the law and the prophets. Those are the major pieces of the Old Testament. So, what Jesus is saying, don't think that I've come to abolish the Old Testament. I've not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. So, Jesus is saying the whole Old Testament, filled with its promises and prophecies, I have come to fulfill. Secondly, in John chapter 5, a bunch of religious people come to argue with Jesus in regard to Scripture, and He tells them, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about Me, Jesus says, yet you refuse to come to Me to have life. Jesus is saying, you don't understand anything about the Bible because unless you read the Bible and connect it to me, you don't get it. You see, the Bible makes no sense apart from Jesus. You can go to any church, any religious group, any cult, even if they're using the Bible, but if they're not primarily connecting everything to Jesus, the Bible is not going to make any sense. And it's not a good teaching you're receiving because according to Scripture, the Bible is all about Jesus. All of that is to say is that the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus and the New Testament shows that all of these are fulfilled in Him through His birth, life, death, and resurrection, that He is the long-awaited Messiah that we 
have come to this amazing process, things revealed hundreds of years before he was ever born. The first one, if you look on the back of your bulletin, the sermon notes for today, the first one is from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And right before we see that, let me share with you what that's about. It's a promise that's given that Jesus will be born as a male. And automatically, okay, you're thinking, all right, if he's born a male, who the Messiah is going to be is dwindled down to half the population already. Well, we are also going to find out that he is born of a mother, so that is like the rest of us, except for one distinct feature about this mom that we will see when we get to Isaiah in a few moments. So here's the context of Genesis 3.15. God made us, male and female, everything is wonderful, glorious, and good. Satan rebels against God, and he tempts our first parents. And so our first parents rebel against God, and they sin. And the result is they are separated from God and doomed for death. And instead of leaving them like that, God in His great kindness comes to Adam and Eve and He speaks to them. And He speaks to them in Genesis chapter 3 and He promises that Jesus will come a male born of a female to defeat Satan and fix this sin problem of which we all suffer from. So right at the beginning of creation, Genesis 3.15, God is speaking to Satan when He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, He, there's the male offspring, will crush your head, you will strike His heel. Jesus will be born a male, born of a woman. He'll have great conflict with Satan. Satan will injure him, but ultimately Jesus is going to crush and conquer him. It moves on, Genesis does, to talk about a man by the name of Abram, eventually named Abraham, and how Jesus would come through his family line. So he would come through Abraham's son Isaac, not Ishmael. And Abraham's grandson, Jacob, not Esau. So the covenant, the promise, the blessing of Jesus will come through the family line of this man, Abraham. Now we're really really narrowing it down, looking for Jesus to come through a particular family. From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons. And God chooses one of them to be the next in the family line of Jesus. His name is Judah. From Genesis 49.10, we read, the scepter, so this is about a king, Jesus described as a king, will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. So to this point, Jesus will come as a male born from a female, He will come from the family line of Abraham, but he will come from Isaac, not Ishmael, Jacob, not Esau, and from Judah, not any of the other 11 sons. So we're really narrowing down this coming of Jesus and getting a clearer picture of the family line from which he's coming. It is clear that if you were to read Matthew chapter 1 and that genealogy, 
this is being fulfilled because this is the line from which Jesus arrives. Furthermore, in Isaiah 7, 14, 700 years before Jesus, the third prophecy I want to share with you, we're told more specifics about Jesus' mother, that she would be a virgin. Needless to say, the pool of candidates is really narrowly focused. Isaiah 7, 14, therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Was that fulfilled in Jesus? Yes. When he came, he was born called Emmanuel. We sing songs to him by that name. In fact, the closing hymn of today, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, so it's got to be true. We sing it. Well, Jesus' mother, Mary, was a virgin. A fulfillment of this promise, conceived by a miracle. She gives birth to Jesus, who is God with us. Moving on, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, again, several hundred years before the birth of Jesus, Micah declares this, but you, Bethlehem, that's the town, Ephrathah, that's the region, though you are small among the clans of Judah... Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. In other words, eternal. So the eternal God is coming into human history. He is going to be born in the rural town of Bethlehem. Many of you know the story. Is that the town in which Mary and Joseph were living at the time? Were they living in Bethlehem? No. But what happened? Well, because God rules over all of human history, the emperor decides to take a census of all the people for tax purposes. So everyone had to register, and in order for the tax purposes, you had to go to the hometown of your ancestry. Well, Jesus' adoptive father, Joseph, is from the town of Bethlehem. That's the line of David. So Mary and Joseph travel to Bethlehem. About the time that Mary is to give birth, they arrive there for the census, and lo and behold, just as Micah prophesied, Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem. Fifth prophecy about Jesus' life, that He would not commit any sin. We are told by Isaiah, again, 700 years before Jesus was born, this is Isaiah 53, verse 9, he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, meaning he did nothing wrong in word or deed. He was perfect. He was sinless. Jesus is the fulfillment of this. No one else is perfect like Jesus. Okay, so here's where we are now. We're waiting for a man born of a woman from the town, uh, so from the family line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah, whose mother would be a virgin, who would give birth to him in Bethlehem, and he would commit no sin. Right. Wonder who that might describe. Additionally, we're told that. There'd be another one preparing the way for Jesus so that we wouldn't miss it. 
two passages, Isaiah 43, a voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God, and Malachi 3.1, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Who would that be but John the Baptist, Jesus' weird cousin? The kid grew up in the wilderness, he's dressed in camel hair clothes, eats a strange diet, and he comes out re- comes out preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Prepare your hearts, the Lord is coming. And with that, the prophecy from Isaiah and Malachi are fulfilled. Well, not only that, but if we continued reading Malachi 3, 1, we'd also discover that Jesus was supposed to appear at the temple. Suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to His temple. For those of you who know Jewish history, when was the temple destroyed? What year? I think I heard it. 70 AD. So now we have a deadline. So whoever this Messiah is, He had to come before 70 AD because the promise is He would go to the temple. Jesus went to the temple several times. But the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., and there has not been one built since in the 2,000 years. Eighth prophecy in Zechariah 9.9, 500 years before Jesus was born, we read this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, another name for Jerusalem. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Did that happen in Jesus' life? Did he come riding into Jerusalem like a king on the back of a colt, being celebrated by people who are cheering his entry? Yes, the Bible says exactly that's what happened. Again, these are amazing, carefully given details that God is revealing for us so that we would be so clear. That Jesus is the Savior, Jesus is God, Jesus is the Messiah. God goes on to declare that Jesus would be abused. Isaiah 50, verse 6, 700 years before Jesus was born. I offered my back to those who beat me. Was Jesus' back beaten? Yes, beyond recognition. If you ever saw the movie, The Passion of the Christ, you get a pretty accurate depiction of what happened to Jesus and how his back was traumatized and how he was flogged to the point of near death. I offered my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. In that culture, this was a way of robbing a man of dignity, disgracing, humiliating him. Was that done to Jesus? Yes, sadly it was. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Was Jesus mocked? Yes. With, with phrases like, Hail, King of the Jews. Was He spit upon? Yes. Furthermore, we're told that Jesus would be hated and rejected. It's hard for us to, to imagine that. Because we love Jesus, we receive Jesus. But it says in Isaiah 53, 3, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering familiar with pain, like one 
from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. So the promise was people would hate Jesus. They would reject him, despise him, oppose him, and they did. And that prophecy was fulfilled in very painstaking detail as recorded in the New Testament. But why? Why would Jesus go through all that? Why would Jesus be put through all of that? Because He was on a mission. From before the foundation of the world, God's plan was to send His Son to die and then rise for sinners like you and me. That leads us to the final fulfillment today that I want to share with you. Two verses later, we read this. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him, and by His wounds we are healed. This is a foreshadowing of Jesus. This tenth piece of prophecy is the one in which the reason why He died Because you see, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Apostle Paul put it this way, for Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. The whole point of Passover back in the days of the Exodus was blood spilt so that the angel of death would pass over. God's wrath spared on His children. Jesus Christ has come to be our Passover lamb, the substitute. His blood, innocent blood, He didn't deserve death, but He took our place, and His blood was shed for our sins so that the wrath of God passes over us. And we don't sacrifice animals anymore because as Hebrews chapter 10 says, Jesus is the sacrifice for all of our sin. So we don't have sacrifices, we just have Jesus. Just Jesus. And He rose from death. And again, you have to confess, even if you're not a Christian, we really whittled down the list. You got to find a man whose mom was a virgin that was born in Bethlehem before 70 AD, died and is still alive. It's a pretty short list. Even if you went to the University of North Carolina, you'd have to say, that's a pretty short list of candidates. In other words, give me one other person that these promises would be fulfilled in. You know, there is no one else. Jesus is the fulfillment of all these prophecies, and not only that, but we're told in Mark 16, He was taken up into heaven, and He sat at the right hand of God, and this completes the full circle of the ministry of Jesus. From heaven to earth to death to burial to resurrection to ascension back 
beside his father. So here's just a couple of notes. Number one, Scripture is inspired by God. You've got to believe that. There is no way that take the Bible as a whole, this many authors, some 40 authors, over that length of time, some 1,500 years at least, toward which the fulfillment is several hundred years removed from the promise. We saw some that were as old as 700 years before Jesus came. You read the Psalms, and they're a thousand years before Jesus came. And they depict this one who fulfills them all. There is no way to understand that, that all of these predictions would be guaranteed in such detail No way except that God knows the future, God controls the future, and only God can reveal this kind of future. And God has. It's the Bible. And that's why we love Scripture, because it's true, and it's from God, and it's all about Jesus. The whole point of Scripture is about Him. Jesus is the centerpiece of Scripture. Jesus is the centerpiece of history. Jesus is the centerpiece of Christianity. Jesus is the centerpiece of our church. So let me ask you, is He the centerpiece of your life? Is Jesus your Savior? Do you believe the promises of Scripture? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the one and only Messiah God with us? The one to deal with our sin, to deal with our death, to deal with this world, to deal with bringing the kingdom of God. If so, you're a Christian. If not, you've got to know the most wonderful thing in the world, and that is God loves you. And He has done everything to take away your sin. God has done everything to reconcile you to himself. And it's all been accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross. He took care of everything. And now you just simply need to trust the person and work of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never really stepped into that and said, Jesus, I, I, I want you to be real in my life. And so I, I simply surrender to you. You can do that. You can do that today. You can do that where you're seated. God knows our hearts. He hears us. If you choose, if you, and after the service, if you want to you want to reflect some more, you want to come and share with me, you want to talk, you want to ask questions, you want to pray for yourself or somebody else um, about anything, I'll, I'll remain after the service and we'll, we'll connect that way. Until then, let me, let me pray for us. Father, we, we're just so grateful for all that you've done for the ways in which you part your wisdom. That's what Scripture really is. It's your wisdom being shown, being revealed, and it all points to the truth of Jesus Christ. 
God, maybe this is something we've already known. We are, we've accepted a long time ago, but it just maybe just helps fill us more full of, of life and knowing that it is all true. And, and any time I've ever questioned that, it, it, it points back again to how you have made this way possible for us to get to know you, for you to love us, forgive us of our sins, hold us and change us. In the name of the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.